All right, everybody, good morning. How are we doing? Fantastic. Hey, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. Um, it's a good day to be in God's house. We, uh, um, you know, I was thinking today about... Um, just how cool it is to receive a gift. I don't know if somebody says, man, I picked out a gift for you. I have a gift for you. And, you know, and you just get that kind of excitement. And we're in a series where God's going, oh, by the way, in case you don't know, I've given you a whole bunch of gifts. And they're yours. You, you, you don't have them. They come from me. They're my gifts. They're, they're gifts that, I, that I've given to you. And the more you spend time with me, the more you abide with me, the more those gifts will be expressed in your life, and they'll make your life easier. I've given you these gifts so that you can almost tap into a supernatural power that's not yours. You can live a spiritual life in a fallen world, rise above the circumstances, and experience what it's like to live in this world with the power of God. And so we've been looking at the gifts that were promised, and Jesus said, look, my followers should be different. You should look at their lives and go, they're different. You should see in them amazing things that are supernatural. In fact, God says, you should see in my followers me. You should see my love and my joys and my peace. It'll be deeper and greater than what you normally see in the world. And you'll know it's for me. You'll look at that person and you go, there's no way that came from them. No way. That kind of love, compassion, forgiveness, that has to come straight from the throne of God. That could not come from them. And he says, and I'm going to give you my fruit. Those who trust in me, I'm going to give you the spirit. And you'll have salvation. That's a given. If you believe in Christ in faith, you'll have salvation. But he says, look, I didn't come here just to save you. I came here to have a relationship with you. I want to spend time with you. I want you to abide in me. I want you to come to me with the intent of staying for a while. <clears throat> and so he says, look, the more you abide in me, the more you'll see these fruits. You can choose as a believer to never tap into these gifts. You can choose as a believer to never experience God's supernatural peace or love or joy or patience or kindness. It's your choice. But he said, I'm gonna give you a promise. If you abide in me, I guarantee that these things will become manifest in your life. Not because you're doing them, but because the Spirit of God is doing it. And when everybody submits to what the Spirit of God is doing, we see the same fruits growing in everybody. I talk a lot about how important it is for Christians to be sunburned. For people to know that you have spent time with the sun. And the more you abide with the sun, the more it shows. It doesn't take much to go down to the beach and go, you spent some time out in the sun. Christians should be able to go, you spent time with the sun. I can see it because you're doing things that are of God. 
Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're going to end this series next week. But today we're going to talk about faithfulness. Literally what it means to be full of faith. People who are faithful persist in difficult times. They persevere under hardship. I think it's safe to say, we've seen this in this series, the spiritual fruits best manifest during trials and difficult times. There's something about the trials in our life, the hard times in our lives, where God just uses those moments to bring the spiritual fruits up. They show best under trials and difficult times. We can get by and fake it when times are okay, but I always admire those people who live for something greater than themselves. It's the most amazing thing to me. I think that's why I'm so fascinated by the Civil War and by soldiers and by people and it, it, on both sides of the wars. They're living for something bigger than themselves. They have found something in the world worth dying for. <coughs> Excuse me. And when everything is stripped away in battle, all that remains for the for the soldier is their faithfulness to the cause. That's when the rubber hits the road. Regardless of what they're on, deep down, at some level, they believe in something strong enough to die for. And I really admire faithfulness. It's incredible, even when it's misplaced. It's are incredibly faithful to their cause. It's amazing. I've always been fascinated by those who be willing to die for what they believe in only that, but they position themselves to be there. The people didn't just get put on a ship and said, hey, go attack Norman. The beach and have somebody say, hey, go, go uh, take over Iwo Jima. They spent hours, thousands of hours preparing for that moment. It was their faithfulness in the little things that mattered. That's what sustained them and that's what inspires me. They learned to be faithful in the little things. When they were tempted to run from the beach, they stayed faithful. When friends were dying, they were cold, hungry, scared, and life seemed unfair, they stayed faithful. They'd already decided that the mission was worth dying for. They'd prepared themselves for the battle to come. They had sacrificed, surrendered on a mission greater than themselves and long before the battle. When the world wasn't watching, they were preparing. They were building their faith. One of the most tragic events during the Reagan administration was the Sunday morning terrorist bombing of the Marines in Beirut. Hundreds of American soldiers who were asleep were killed or wounded, and many of us, if we're old, can recall the day's survivors that morning trying to dig out and, and find their friends. A few days after the tragedy, I heard of a story. Marine Corps Commandant Paul Kelly visited some of the wounded survivors in Frankfurt. Thank you. He comes to the hospital, and there was a man there named Corporal Jeffrey Lee Nashton, severely wounded. He had so many tubes running in and out of his body that, that uh, Marine Commandant Paul Kelly said, it's hard to even see if there was a human there. There were so many tubes running in and out of this guy. 
He looked more like a machine than a man, and yet he survived. And as Kelly came near him, Nashton, struggling to move, racked with pain, motioned for a piece of paper and a pen. And he wrote a brief note, and he gave it back to his commander. And on the note were two words, Semper Fi. Semper Fi, the Latin motto of the Marines, meaning forever faithful. It's short for Semper Fidelis. I will always be faithful. With those two simple words, Nashton spoke for millions of soldiers who sacrificed body and limb and their lives for their country and still remain faithful. And as I study these soldiers, and y'all know I'm particularly big into the Civil War, I'm drawn to the parallel between the soldiers in these battles and Christian martyrs. Same courage and the same faith. I began thinking about what it means to give your life for a cause greater than yourself. I began to ask myself, what am I willing to die for? What's more important than right now for me? What, what is it on my list of lists where I check out and go, no, I'm not doing that? Christian martyrs like Jesus, Stephen, John Wycliffe, who translated the Latin Bible into English, William Tyndall, who wrote the English Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Jim Elliott. There are so many people that have made sacrifices to get these words to us. And I'm so thankful for the veterans, but I'm also mindful Christian martyrs, missionaries, they sacrifice so much. And we're here today entrusted with the message that's been handed down. Wycliffe, Tyndall, Luther, Calvin, Knox, Edwards, Wesley, Billy Graham, handed down, entrusted to us like they took this book and said, here, everybody's died to get this to you. Make sure you use it. Make sure you teach it. Make sure you hand it to other people. Make sure you pass it on to the next generation. It's the most priceless, valuable thing I could ever give you here. And God said, my people will be faithful. They'll not only be full of faith, they'll be trustworthy, they'll be dependable, they'll be steady. When you can't get other people to trust, you can trust my people. It's what it means to be all in. The Greek word is pistos, the quality of being pistos. Thought I'd throw that in. It means someone who's faithful, someone we can rely on, someone whose loyalty we can depend on, whose word we can accept without any reservations. It describes a man in whom there is complete and unwavering trust in Jesus Christ and the absolute dependability of God. It means faithful, true, trustworthy, and reliable. God wants his children to be faithful. Because it's his nature to be faithful. The Holy Spirit wants to transform us into his nature. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son Christ our Lord. 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. If we can't depend on God's faith, our entire relationship with God is based on his faithfulness, not ours. All of our hope and our trust in God is based on his faithfulness. 
and because he's trustworthy and he's faithful, we can grow in confidence that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he's going to do. Faithfulness is a key characteristic of all Christ followers. God's word speaks of faithful servants, faithful in a few things, faithful in the least, faithful in the Lord, faithful in ministry, eventually leading us to that day when the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Faithfulness. God says, look, when you look out at the world, you should see in my people a faithfulness that you don't see in other people. You can trust them. Their word is their word. They're dependable. They'll be faithful regardless of what happens to them. My faithfulness will manifest through them. It'll be deeper than anything you've ever seen. So what is faithfulness? What is faithful? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us that it's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Perhaps no other component of Christian life is more important than faith. You can't purchase it. You can't sell it. You can't give it to your friends. I can't make you more faithful. I can't bestow faith upon you. You can't make yourself more faithful. In fact, there's nothing in our fallen state that makes us want to follow Christ or have any faith in him at all. We can't muster it up. We can't develop it. We can't make it happen. The dictionary defines faith as devotion to or trust in something without logical proof. The Bible has much more to say about faith and how important it is. It says that without faith, we have no place with God. And it's impossible to please him. According to the Bible, faith is belief in the one true God without actually seeing him. What is faith? Knowing and believing that God exists even though I can't see him. Knowing his promise is true even though I can't see him. So this is really important. Where does faith come from? You ever thought about that? What, what gives us faith in God? Where did that come from? Faith is not something we conjure up on our own. Nor is it something we're born with. Nor is it a consequence of deep study of the scriptures or pursuit of spiritual things or following religious rituals or attending church or volunteering. None of that gives you faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 makes it clear that faith is a gift from God. The only reason you and I have any faith in God is because he gave it to us. You didn't do it. Something happened in your life and all of a sudden you're like, well, this is starting to make some sense. I think what God's saying is true. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You're not worthy to have it. It's not from us. It's from God. It's not obtained by your power or your free will. You can't walk out of here today going, I'm going to make myself more faithful. I'm going to study myself into more faith. It's given to us from God. Along with his grace and mercy, he gives it to us. And he says, I'm going to give you this amount of faith. And you don't, this amount of faith is all you need for salvation. But he says, you know what? For those who abide in me, for those who spend time with me, for those who get out of the way and let the spirit dwell in them and do what I want them to do, their faith is going to be so deep and so much better than anything they've ever seen before. 
Faith is what separates those who know about Jesus from those who truly know him. Faith is what moves us. People will, know worship, will not worship something that they believe to be false. It's our faithfulness that gets us to worship every week. Our faith can falter at times, but it's a gift from God given to his children. And he provides times of testing. And he allows us to go through times so that we can see our own faith. Why do you have difficult times in your life? Well, one reason is that's the only time you know the foundation of your faith. It's not till the wind blows that you know how well the building is structured. In fact, a constant theme in this series is that it takes adversity to highlight the spiritual gifts. You can't really see supernatural things until you've exhausted the natural. Difficult circumstances are invitations from God to show up and reveal himself through us. That's why James says, consider it pure joy. When you go through trials, consider it joy because the testing of your faith produces perseverance and matures us, providing the evidence that your faith is real. How do you know your faith in God is real? Because you've had to depend on it. And do you know why faithfulness is so intriguing? Do you, know, do you know why it's just so incredible to see somebody who's truly faithful? Because it's rare. We don't see it a lot in our culture. You don't like your class, you drop it. Get mad at a coworker, quit. Marriage struggles, get a divorce. Caught in conflict, lie your way out of it. Faithfulness is a rare trait. We find few employees with the same company anymore. Few Christians even stay with their church family more than a few years. Commitments in our culture seem to come with a disclaimer. I'm going to give you my word unless something changes. I'll be there for you unless something else comes along. We inherently resist making commitments, and it seems to get worse with every passing generation. Making commitments. Let your word be your word. But God said, my people, well, they'll be different. They'll stand out. They'll have no problem making and keeping commitments. You'll be able to trust their word. If they tell you they're going to do something, they're going to do it. And if they say they'll be there, they'll be there. And they'll keep their promises because they promise. Faithfulness is easy to fake at church. When you're surrounded by others, perhaps your small group, you can look and act so faithful when we gather together. We're good at it. I'm good at it. But the measure of faithfulness is what happens when we're alone. And what happens when following Jesus really starts to cost you something. It's developed when nobody's watching. The, the Marines that came on Normandy didn't develop their faith at Normandy. They developed it alone years before, being faithful in the little things, building up to that moment. The same thing is true for Christ followers. Our faith is revealed in crisis, but it's developed when we're alone with God. See, faithfulness, like all spiritual fruits, start where you and I fail. 
It's when our faith runs out that God's faith moves through us. It's when our love runs out that God's love pours through us. And when our joy runs out that God's joy pours through us. If you go into the world full of your good intentions, I'm just going to be more faithful. You walk out of here, you pull out of the parking lot, I'm going to be more faithful. That's what I'm going to do. You'll do okay for a while. But eventually your sin nature will win. True godly faithfulness comes only from the Holy Spirit. It kicks in where you and I end. The Holy Spirit is calling us to true faithfulness. Faithfulness when no one but God is watching. That's where the rubber meets the road. When you get alone with God and no one in the world knows, but God knows you were faithful. Maybe the world criticizes you. Maybe the world's calling you name. Maybe the world's uh, attacking you, but you know in the heart of your hearts that you were faithful in the important things with God. There are many incredible examples of faith in the Bible. It's a whole book about faith. Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. Noah building an ark in the desert when it hadn't even rained yet. Elijah on Mount Carmel calling down water and fire from heaven. But today I want to look at Joseph. Not the Mary and Joseph Joseph. We'll do that in December. This is one of 12 sons. He's the multicolored robe Joseph. Maybe you saw him on Broadway. His father was Jacob. And he obviously, Jacob loved Joseph more than his other children. There's no doubt about it. Joseph had the nicest clothes. He got the newest iPhone. His dad upon him and favored Joseph and his brothers hated Joseph for it. Joseph was innocent, yet his brothers hated him. They wanted to kill him. One day the opportunity arrives. They turn against the favored son. They plotted to kill him, but instead they decided to a pit and then sold him into slavery. They took his multicolored robe. They put some animal blood on it. They gave it to the father and said he died. Joseph's taken to Egypt as a slave. He ends up in prison for years as an innocent man. God's favor was upon him, though. Eventually, he reaches a very high position. And he used that position not only to forgive those who had betrayed him, but he restored his relationship with the father and with his brothers. The one they thought was dead was alive. His sacrifice restored the relationship. Now, I've often said that the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. If you study the Old Testament, you dive deep enough, you'll see that every story, every foreshadows and points to Jesus. You see Jesus in the stories of the Old Testament. The story of Joseph is a precursor pointing to Jesus. Let me just highlight some of the 70 or more similarities between Joseph's story and Jesus' story. He was the father's favorite son. He was open with them, but they hated him and plotted against him. He was betrayed by those who should have loved him. He was thrown into a pit, sold for money, wore a special valuable robe, left alone, spent years in obscurity, was pure towards God, resisted temptation. He accepted injustice without bitterness, 
He always thought of what the Father wanted, what the Father was doing. He lived in complete surrender to God's mission. The Lord was continually with him. He saw sin as a betrayal against God. He was lied about. He was written off as dead. He forgave and pointed his brothers to God. He was not recognized by his own family. He has the power to destroy them, but instead he uses his power to save them. His entire focus is the restoration of the relationship, bringing his family back to the Father. He forgave them and told them to forgive themselves. He told them to hurry with the news that he was alive. I once did a very long series of seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. We went through story after story after story of how you see Jesus in the Old Testament. Comparing Joseph's life to Jesus' life. But what I want to focus on today is Joseph's unwavering faithfulness in God. Regardless of his circumstances. And often it occurred in spite of his circumstances. Think about what Joseph must have felt. He had nothing to do with his father loving him more. He's surrounded by people who should love him, but instead they hate him. He's innocent, but they betray him and sell him into slavery. How would you feel? I mean, honestly, how would you feel? How angry would you be? What would your prayers be like? How long would you wait for God to rescue you before you give up on him? Joseph's life reflects him honoring God and doing God's will, but instead of being rewarding, it seems he's being punished. Joseph does everything God asks him to do, and it looks like it's not working out. People are trying to kill him. They're selling him into slavery. They're accusing him of things he didn't do. He said, look, God, I'm doing what you asked me to do, but, but this isn't turning out right. And yet, despite repetitive, horrible circumstances, his faith in God is unwavering. There was something within him that was not of him. The kind of faithfulness he exhibits is not of this world. It's supernatural. I want to highlight three key lessons we learned from Joseph's life. The first, and this obviously is critical for us, be faithful in the little It would have been easy for Joseph to give up on God. He's disappointed, disheartened. Life doesn't seem fair. He's alone. No one's watching. Maybe it's time to give up on God. Maybe it's time to live for himself. Being faithful doesn't seem to be getting him anywhere. You know, Satan must have been messing with him too, right? He must have been telling him, look, God's betrayed you. He's given up on you. You're in prison. You obeyed him, and he, he's given up on you. He doesn't care about you. You know he's being bombarded. What kind of God, what kind of love gets you betrayed and thrown into slavery? Let's pick up the story in 39. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, the officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Great. It's one thing to be a slave of the traveling Ishmaelites. They're a nomadic people. But, but the Egyptians, they're harsh. Joseph is at a decision point. Life just got really unfair. He can choose to get bitter or he can choose to get better. Joseph never imagined his brothers would do this to him. 
He likely never imagined the circumstances in his life turning out this way. But the story of Joseph did not begin with his brothers turning on him. He'd been developing deep roots of faith long before anything happened to him. The circumstances did not cause him to have faith. The circumstances revealed the faith that he'd already developed. Let me repeat that because it's true for us too. The difficult circumstances in your life, that's not where you build your faith. It's where your faith is revealed. Jesus, or Joseph prepared himself during the quiet times alone with God. He knew that God was growing his faith. Faith is given in daily doses, not in an IV bolus during an emergency. You see, your faith builds up a little bit every day. Spend time alone with Christ, self to Christ, your faith goes up a notch. And it does it every day, every day, every day, and you don't even know when you need it, but you know one day you're going to need it. And yet a lot of us live our lives as, well, I'm going to do whatever I want, and when everything turns bad, maybe God will give me a bolus of faith. That's not how it works. Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessings of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. He had no concern about anything food he ate. The Lord was with Joseph. They had a relationship. Again, they, they brought their relationship to the trial. They didn't develop it there. Joseph was faithful when he was planted because he was already deeply planted in God. And even though his circumstances were unfair, he was faithful to honor God and note this very important point. Others saw God Is that you? Can you remain faithful no matter where God leads you? Is your faith so strong that no matter what happens tomorrow, you know that things may get out of whack, things may get concerning, but your faith won't fail. Not because God's going to give it to you tomorrow, because you've been developing it for years. Even if you don't like your job, even if they've not been fair to you, your employer should see something different in you. You show up on time. Your expense reports are perfect. You respond to emails. You give 100% even when the boss is away and no one's looking. Are you faithful in the little things? Or is your faith present only when things go your way? Joseph had been faithful in the little things. It was his character. He almost couldn't help but do it. And because he's faithful in the little things, he naturally remained faithful in all things. You're going to have key relationships in your life. Potential spouse, a best friend, an accountability partner, mentor, business partner, coach, small group leader, pastor. The best advice I can give you when you're looking at those people, are they faithful in the little things? 
Does their faith transcend their circumstances? Is their life built on a true foundation of trust in God? Are they faithful and unwavering when no one but God is watching? Are they willing to stand on their faith and trust God when others don't and criticize them for it? Only allow those who you know are faithful in the small things to speak truth into your life. Not everyone has earned the right or earned the ability to speak into your life. Let me just tell you, you're going to have people that come up to you that have all kinds of advice for you. They're going to tell you God told them something to tell you to do whatever or, or this is what you need to do. This is what I've noticed in you or all those kind of things. You have to guard very carefully what voices you allow in your life. I can just tell you as a pastor, I get emails, I get to me, this is what you should have said, this is what you could have said, why didn't you do that, all these kind of things. You've got to have a core group of people in your life that you know love you more than anything else. They want the very best for you. And they're willing to speak truth into your life. And those people, you listen to them and then you take what they say to God and say, God, is this true? But if you allow every person that comes up to you to be the truth source of your life, you're going to have a really hard time. So when you're thinking about relationships, pay attention to whether they're faithful in little things. Because if they are, the big things will take care of themselves. Second, be faithful when be faithful when tempted. Genesis 39, 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than, is, he is not greater in this house than I am nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you're his wife. Now think about Joseph. This is a great time for him to rationalize. He's tempted. You know Satan's prompting him. Joseph, no one's ever going to know. If you sleep with her, she has the power and influence to hurt you. Your family bailed on you. You're living as a slave for crying out loud. This is your chance to have some fun. Potiphar could have married anyone he chose. Well, she's gorgeous. Come on, you deserve some fun. Sleep with her. But look at Joseph's response. How then can I do great wickedness and sin against God? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's Joseph's response. That's faith. That's faith that is prepared for the moment. Just like the soldiers at Normandy have prepared to go on that beach, Christ followers should be prepared to have their faith ready when we're tempted. Most of us don't turn our thoughts to God's heart when we're tempted. We try to assess our risk. Will I get caught? Will anyone find out? What would Potiphar do if he found out? Is she going to talk? Most of us in our flesh do an immediate risk-benefit analysis. Can I get away with this? 
Can I just tell you the answer is no, because God knows. Yet Joseph doesn't look horizontally at others at all. He looks vertically at God. His knee-jerk response, the faith that was built over time in his life is, I have to agree with God's view and surrender to it. How could I do this against God? Where does that come from? It doesn't come from Joseph. It comes from deep roots developed in quiet times. It comes from being faithful in routine things, time with God, time in the scriptures, being so close to God that he's first on your mind when you are tempted. His primary focus when tempted was to remain faithful to his commitment and relationship to God. It is so easy for us to forget about God. But if we're faithful in our quiet time, if we're faithful in our studies, if we're faithful in our prayer, it's a lot harder to forget about God because we just talk to him. Joseph was faithful. When sin came calling, don't miss this, he prepared for that moment in the sanctuary, in the quiet place. When the storm clouds of his faith were still on the horizon, he was preparing. One of the greatest transformations that happens in the quiet place in the spirit is that he prepares you for the moments to come. I'll tell you the number of times I've been alone with God, listening to God, and a verse comes to my mind. And within two days, some event is happening. That verse is front and center. Or I'm reading scripture and a word pops up, and within a day or so, all of a sudden I needed that. God prepares you for what's coming. He doesn't give us fruit of the Spirit just so we can go around saying, hey, this is cool. He gives you fruit of the Spirit to use it when things get difficult to teach you that when no matter how hard life gets, you can trust him. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and he'll bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Now we focus on he'll teach you all things. But the second part is critical when we're tempted. We have the power to resist temptation, not in and of ourselves, but because the Holy Spirit will bring to our mind what Jesus has already said. When Joseph was tempted, his response was straight from the Spirit of God. Man, I wish that was my first response. We're transformed when we're surrendered to God. We're going to face critical moments in our life. Yours might be happening right now. I don't know. But you're going to be given an opportunity to follow God or not, to reveal the faith you've been developing or not. Joseph knew temptation would come and he prepared for it. He planned for the day when he would need to choose God. No one who prepares to storm the beach at Normandy can be surprised when they get there that there's a war going on. Christians every day seem to be surprised that Satan is attacking you, trying to destroy you, wanting to break up your marriage, your relationships, wanting to basically bring you down. You're in a war and we're walking around going, oh, the trees. Wow. Joseph never gave Satan an opportunity to twist the truth. His first response, it wasn't, hey, am I going to get caught? Or, hey, I wonder if I can get away with that. That wasn't his response. His response was, I can't offend God. 
Joseph knew what God thought about adultery. Wasn't a question. There's no debate there. He'd already set that boundary and moral edge. I preach about this a lot, that most of us, we set our boundaries right there on the edge. We get right up close to sin. It's not quite sin yet. It's almost sin. It's not really there yet. And we just kind of start leaning. But I'm not sinning yet. No, no. Let me just tell you, you need to set your boundaries like over here. So that even if you take a false step, you haven't trashed yourself. Right? Because here's what happens is, well, I can have lunch with that coworker. That's okay. She's, it's her birthday. Of course I can do that. Oh, we can meet after work because her, her car broke down. She needs a ride home. Okay, that's no problem, no problem. You know what? She might be a good voice for me to talk to about my marriage because it's not going real well. You know what? I noticed that she's single. Uh, she may not know anything about marriage, but she might be able to help me understand what's going on because she has the woman's view, right? You know, there's a business trip coming up, and nobody will know what happened. And then they fall off the ledge, and they act shocked that they got there. It's like everything you've been doing has been leading you that direction. What we need to do in any sin issue in our life is step back over here, and as soon as we start going to lunch with somebody that's not our wife, who's of the opposite sex, we go, no, that's my boundary. You see, if that's my boundary, I'll never end up over there. And it doesn't matter what sin you're in, you don't get to the sin surprisingly. You took steps to get there, one after the other, rationalizing all the way. Joseph stood back here and said, I'm not going to offend my God. We're done. Not going to do it. He was prepared for that moment when temptation came. But let me tell you something. When temptation comes, your first response is your best response. Your first response is your best response. And your first response should be, here's what God says. If your first response is, here's what God says, then you're done. God says, don't do it, I don't do it. Here's what happens to us, though. Again, discussion. And every time we do that, we lose. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? As soon as Eve answered that question, she was done. Once Eve began a dialogue with Satan, she was done. When Jesus is tempted in the desert, he only does one thing. He quotes the word of God, and he ends the discussion. If you're facing temptation, quote the word of God and end the discussion. Stop it. Don't let it go any further. Your first response is your best response. The only sword you and I have been given to fight Satan is the truth. Not a debate about whether you get caught, not about, well, I wonder if this, no, the truth. God's word, that's your sword. It's the only offensive weapon you have. It's critical when you're tempted that you demonstrate your faithfulness. So we're to be faithful in little things. We're to be faithful when we're tempted. And the third thing is, be faithful when life is not fair. Be faithful when life is not fair. Expect life to be unfair. Expect to be tempted. Don't act surprised when those things happen to you. It's called human experience. 
We're in a fallen world. We're going to be disappointed. Things are going to happen. Don't let your faithfulness waver on your circumstances. There's no fairness here. God never promised fairness. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, fairness is gone. Deal with it. Seriously, right now, just deal with it. Unfair things are going to happen to me. Not God's fault. It's my fault. It's fallen man's fault. Just get over it. I don't know how else to say this. Just right now decide there's going to be unfair things that happen in your life. And quit complaining about it and prepare for it. Because in the moment when those things happen to you, you don't need to waste time going, this is unfair, God. No. It's when your faithfulness shows up. Things will happen to you and me that just seem wrong. 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Somewhere in our Christian minds, we have been sold the lie that we're supposed to have a wrinkle-free life. I don't know where it comes from. Our Savior was persecuted. Our Savior went through all kinds of things. Paul, persecuted. Everybody who followed Jesus, martyrs, persecuted. Die for the cause. And somehow in America, we've decided, oh, well, I just have a smooth, wrinkle-free life until Jesus comes back. No. You're going to be in difficult times. Unfair things are going to happen to you because you follow Jesus. And Joseph had prepared for this moment. One day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was in the house, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out in a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me. He fled and he got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until the master came home. And she told him the same story. The Hebrew servant who you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Potiphar had Joseph thrown in prison because his wife said he tried to rape her. Potiphar didn't believe her. She didn't believe her. He didn't believe her because Joseph went to prison. The punishment was death. Any king whose wife sleeps with somebody else or any person who tries to assault and rape somebody, they were to be instantly killed. Potiphar didn't do that. He put him under arrest. He likely knew his wife was lying. Why? Because I think he knew the character of Joseph. I think it was hard for him to believe that this man who'd been so faithful in so many things would have done something like this. And it was well within the law for him to kill him. In fact, it was the law that he should kill him. Joseph was faithful to God and look where it got him, from slave to prisoner. Even though he did what was right, he's punished. Now this is where most of us would have checked out. You see, many of us, we have this conditional faith in God. 
as long as things go okay, as long as things are sort of fair, I'll suffer a little, God, but I'm not going to suffer a lot. So at some point, I'm going to check out. If things get too tough for me, too bad, my faith is leaving. And what happens is a lot of people have unfair things. And rather than trusting their faith in God, they go to their friends and they go, that was unfair, wasn't it? Can you believe that happened to me? That was horrible. I have every right to go do this, right? I have every right to just check out. And somehow people say, yeah, you do. They find a friend to justify their decision to do what they know God is telling them not to do. But when life was not fair, Joseph was ready. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one that did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. How do you respond when life is unfair? Do you shake your fist at God? Or are your roots so deep that no circumstance can, can affect your trust in God? All of us are going to go through times when we feel mistreated. God uses those times to reveal our faithfulness. And if you remain faithful in difficult times, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what you think God owes you, there will be a time when God honors your faithfulness. Faithful is revealed when watching. It's in the little things. It's when you're tempted and it's when life seems unfair. In those moments when others will be cursing God for what happened to them, when the human capacity in our flesh is faltering and we don't get what we wanted and we're disheartened and we're disillusioned and we have nothing left in that moment when we're at the end of ourselves, power of the Holy Spirit shows up. And something rises up within us. It's a faith we didn't know we had because we never had to depend on it. All of a sudden, everything that we put our faith in ourselves has fallen away, and all we have left is our faith in God. And what we find during those difficult times is that he shows up, that his faith and his faithfulness is there. In that moment when we're at the end of ourselves, that's when we find the Holy Spirit working. Something rises up in us to walk by faith and not by sight. To trust God. If God's allowed us in it, we'll get through it. We find ourselves trusting God and being faithful, but we can't explain why. We walk in those difficult circumstances propelled by a power that's not of us. The spiritual fruit of faithfulness is supernatural doesn't come naturally to any of us. We can't produce it. We can't make it. We can't fake it. There will be times when we are tempted beyond our human ability to resist. There will be moments when life is really, really raw and very unfair. There will be moments when we're worn down, exhausted, and unable to take another step. We begin to feel something within us rising up. And we know it's not of us. If we allow it, a power moves through us and we develop a supernatural sense of faith. 
And those around us don't more. They see God in us during difficult times. And perhaps today and you have this need to hold on to something. Maybe you're at the end of yourself. Maybe you need something supernatural to happen because nothing you've tried or done has helped. Maybe you're in a circumstance now where you're or, or where you're at the end of what you know to do and life is just too hard. Maybe you've come here today in desperate and unfair circumstances and you may be in a very dark place. Maybe Satan's trying to tell you that God has given up on you. Can I just tell you you're here? He led you here. He hasn't given up on you. You may be tempted to evaluate God's love based on your comfort. You want to trust God, but it's hard. Everything and everyone you've ever trusted has let you down. And you don't know if you have it in you to trust one more time. Maybe you're really angry at God. Because truthfully, nothing's gone well for you. Your circumstances are overwhelming you and you just feel so alone, so abandoned, and so misused. Maybe the story of Joseph is for you. Maybe you're just really tempted right now. The sins are right there in front of you. Look so inviting. You feel so deserving. You don't know if you have the power to resist. Honestly, you don't know if you want to resist. But something in you is turning you the other way. Maybe you feel like Corporal Nash. Maybe spiritually you feel like you're on life support. What's happened to you seems so unfair. You've been clinging to life, bruised and battered by an unfair attack, and you struggle to remain faithful. The Apostle Paul was faithful despite horrible circumstances in his life. Let me encourage you with words through him, and we'll close. He says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he can't deny himself. It's so important to understand. The faith you need is not yours. You ran out of faith. Now all you have left is God's faith. Let's use it. You see, because even when you run out of faith, God's got an unlimited supply. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. My faith may fail, but yours never will. Over the next few moments, I want to encourage you to quiet your heart before God. To think about what I've said, for the Lord will give you understanding. As we close and reflect, I want us to follow Paul's advice. Whatever you're going through, God understands. Whatever you're going through, God has allowed in your life. Whatever you're going through, it may be unfair. It may not be fair. It may be hurting you. It may seem so wrong, but it's an opportunity to test your faith. He is faithful to lead you home. He is faithful to show you something within you that you didn't even know or had to depend on it before. You can trust him. He is Semper Fi because he can't deny himself. And he down. 
no matter where you are, no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what you think about it, he will come to rescue. God, I thank you that you're faithful always. That it's your character, it's your nature. You make a promise, you keep it. You state a truth, and it's true forever. So God, there are people in all kinds of circumstances. Many of us are headed into circumstances that we don't even know about yet. And they're going to test our faith. They're going to test the work that we've done in the quiet time. They're going to test the time we spent alone with you. So God, help us to be faithful in the little things. To add to our faith a little bit every day. To build the muscles of faith so we can face the struggles of the world. Help us, God, to surrender more so you can transform us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.